0: Welcome to the 3v3 podcast, your socially distanced hockey chat show. Here are your hosts,
1: Cassie, Pat, and Patrick.
0: So, this is what a podcast is like, is it?
1: That's what I hear.
0: So, if a podcast records and you're not there to witness it, did it actually happen?
1: Patrick will have to to answer that. Well,
0: Patrick will (laughs) have to answer that question for us next week.
1: Well, see, and now without Patrick, we don't we don't have um, the completely arbitrary tangents that that he in, you know takes us down and and leads to your segues and things.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean my tangents are pretty pointed, but then I don't
1: articulate them as well as he does. Well, he babbles, which he admits to. Uh, so I'm not just saying he babbles because I feel like he babbles. He says he babbles. Uh, And uh, you always come back to your point, and Patrick doesn't always. (laughs) Which is good. It's fine. I'm I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. It's just, you know. Because, like, we started out the last episode of, of me going on about, about, you not being there, Pat, and, and what we would miss with you not being there. So you can listen to the first five minutes, and you don't have to worry about the rest. Um. Oh, good. <laughs> I don't know
0: about everyone else, but, yeah, podcasts, listening to podcasts has become a chore lately. Um,
1: yeah, this do this
0: is the gift <laughs> that keeps on giving, but all the other ones are a chore.
1: Well, I mean, it's it's – for me personally it's fun to do because I I enjoy talking with people about random things or random people about things however that all plays out um you know I will never turn down a conversation by and large (laughs) with anybody but uh actually listening to them eh, not really my thing Mm -hmm. like being on them don't really like listening to them too much
0: I mean, I was I've been listening to different podcasts, not just in hockey spheres, but, you know, comedy and some current events, but not so much lately. Um,
1: See, my for, question uh, with podcasts, is it really a podcast that is recorded with video? Is Is it really a
0: podcast if it was recorded with video but didn't start out that way?
1: Yeah, I I don't even – it doesn't even matter how it starts out. It's just, you know, shouldn't a podcast be you don't know what people look like or what they, you know – watching them talk with headphones on or mics or anything. I don't know. I, I think that that's video casting and not necessarily podcasting, but maybe I am being a little too particular about that.
0: Perhaps. I mean, I clearly have a face built for radio, <laughs> as, you, as you can tell by my avatar on our uh, Skype call here. Oops, sorry. Was I supposed to mention that? Eh. That's the software we're using because that seems to be another in vogue thing is what sort of setup is everyone using mm-hmm. but.
1: you know what as long as you can record and it works for you and you, the sound quality is decent who cares yeah. and the
0: only other thing i would add is uh no gambling or sports betting ads
1: oh my god yes thank you <laughs> i mean my avatar picture is like uh Saltwater stretch of saltwater, so I I can't like <laughs> I can't point fingers at you. <laughs> How long have we been doing this, and we haven't actually talked about hockey yet? Um,
0: <laughs> oh, I mean, we we when there's three of us, I mean, we could go for thirty minutes without actually discussing the um, the game of hockey.
1: Oh, we could go longer than that, but yeah.
0: Oh, we could. Do we yeah. want to probably,
1: <laughs> I would say almost certainly, since we we do that after we're done recording. Um, speaking of of the game of hockey, or at least the League of professional hockey, the n h l so is it just me or is there a lot of weird stuff happening so far in the first round? There's a lot of weird stuff, and you know what? I'm kind of here for it.
0: It's been um, less of the phony drama that the League doesn't like to promote, even though it should absolutely promote. Mm-hmm. But it just seems like there's it's less um, storylines and more, oh, here's a quirky thing that happened.
1: Yeah, because, and, and a lot of it seems to revolve around goaltending.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean. All right, look, everyone had their fun with the spicy pork and, and broccoli, but <laughs> you, you get 24 hours to to make your jokes, and then we move on. Right. Um, certainly, Pittsburgh did last night. Um Goaltending notwithstanding in a game that featured eleven goals, but hey.
1: Defense what? Defense wins championships? What?
0: No, defen defense can be controlled. Offense is unpredictable.
1: <laughs> or is it? <laughs> Not if you do it right. <laughs> if- it's, it's like goaltending. Goaltending is unpredictable. Not if you do it right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Here is the key to goaltending: if you can let allow your goaltender to stand still, see the shot, they will stop it probably ninety five times out of a hundred. If they don't, you need a new goaltender. If they do, you're fine, and the team in front of them need, needs to make some adjustments.
1: Well. With the caveat that the the goaltender has told everybody on the team what they should be doing in their zone, right? So, you know, because as I've said before, some goalies like to be hit by the puck and some goalies don't want to touch it at all.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and so if the goalie has, has expressed that, their preference of how to play the puck to at least the defenders in front of them, preferably to everybody on their team so that they know. So there isn't some like overenthusiastic winger who is trying to clear the zone and accidentally tips it into their own net kind of thing. You know, that's maybe that's just me. Maybe, maybe everybody on the ice knowing what everybody else is doing and it's all communicated and it's clear. Maybe that's just a little fantasy I have in my mind, because clearly that's not what's going on in the NHL.
0: Well, a conversation between a head coach and a goalie, do those things happen?
1: I'm not even talking about the head coach. Head coach can be totally out of it. So the goalie is like looking around. Because what I'm saying is is the
0: head coach is usually dictating what the defensemen do and not the goaltender. And I agree with you. I think it should be the other way around certain things about how your team plays in the defensive zone should be predicated on what your goaltending duo likes to do.
1: Right. But For a,
0: for example, me, go ahead.
1: I was going to say let me go back to for a second um Head coach is telling defenders what to do. Uh, the only thing that they tell them what to do is is clear the puck and make the first pass out of the zone.
0: <laughs>
1: they <laughs> That's do it. that. They also do
0: this this weird number two on one. Why is the defenseman constantly drifting towards the shooter? Because I, it, it,
1: because it, because the. Do you really want to know?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I know the this answer. Is this
1: a rhetorical question? question.
0: <laughs> a little bit. But it, it was to back up your point about you should be talking to the goaltenders about what they want to do.
1: Right. Right. Because in that situation, for those who are not aware, uh, the defender tends to drift towards the person with the puck because they're anticipating the pass to the other player two on one. And the goalie is going to take the shooter.
0: That's what they should do.
1: In theory. But In theory. But, the, again, it's one of those, does the gully know that?
0: <laughs> or, it well, what it's really become is the defenseman will try to take away the puck carrier's ability to make the pass, yet somehow it always gets across.
1: Uh, I, I've noticed a tendency more towards uh, the defender or the the person the player with the puck holds on to the puck for so long that the defender isn't sure they're going to pass so he tries to like lay down and block shooting lanes for both players
0: yeah which
1: <sighs> and I'm like just trust the damn goalie okay <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: we gal- the galaxy bring the, the that idea with the concept of well, how often are we going to get a clean tape-to-tape pass when someone has to physically lift the puck or saucer a pass over to a... And it happens way more than you think because players in the modern-day league have been practicing this since, oh, I don't know, they were six years old.
1: See, here's the funny thing. In basketball and hockey, you can play it the same way, which is why it's funny. Uh, is that the the, pl- the defender is trying to take away the pass so that the the person with the puck has to shoot whether they want to or not so that you know if they don't have a great shot then they're not going to make it right so mm-hmm. so that's that's always been my thought with that whole two on one situation is I'm like. But why are you trying to force the guy to pass so the goalie – why are you not trying to get yourself between both players so that the guy with the puck is forced to shoot and you don't have to worry about the pass? Or is that just too, too like, out there for people? I don't know.
0: Oh, it's way too out there for people. (laughs) I mean, my philosophy was always, okay, I want to – just let the puck carrier come in straight. Don't let them be able to come closer towards the middle of the ice. And once I've done that and they're kind of in a position where they have no choice, they're going to need to shoot or pass. Then I take away the pass. Like then I drift away from them and cover the other person.
1: Well, see, that's the thing though, is that if you're the only defender back and you've got two forwards coming towards you and if you're be if you put yourself between the two forwards then you can also manipulate the guy with the puck to put to push him out to the outside more mm-hmm. to take and away the, to take away a good shot, and that way, yeah, and and that way they either have to shoot or they have to pass, you know, do a drop pass behind them, and then that gives time for other players to come into the zone.
0: And I am not in between the goaltender and the but, shooter, therefore, the puck is, should be released directly off the shooter's stick, so. There's no chance of, oh, it skips off my leg as I'm diving down on the ice, a la NHL defenders. And then who knows what happens after that sequence.
1: Right. I mean, so so basically what you're doing, or basically what NHL defenders, whether it's their coaches wanting them to do this or not, or that it's just how they're coached, like younger ages, what they're doing is they're allowing one more person to enter the play, by trying to trying to anticipate the the guy is going to pass, give it to the other guy and then they're going to shoot, right? You're allowing one yeah. more person into the play. If you are in between those two forwards, you are taking that other person out of the play. Yeah. And, Let's
0: create a one-on-one situation almost like a soccer shootout. Right. But with a small net right. where it's just it's just two players standing there, and one of them
1: shoots. Yeah, so I, I've never understood that. I mean, you know, of course, nobody talks to me about hockey tactics or anything like that, so <laughs> I don't sit there. I mean, I'm sure that someone, sit at like a, an NHL or a coach, sitting with me during a hockey game, like sitting in an arena, it would be a very mind-blowing experience for them because – I like most women don't aren't aren't indoctrinated in how hockey quote unquote should be right mm-hmm. it's I came to the game loved it, figured it out on my own, and so I came to my own conclusions i don't i'm not I'm not like thinking what other people have told me to think I'm thinking whatever I came up with myself, and so you know, a lot of girls, when they're starting to play hockey, a lot of coaches don't take girls' teams seriously. And so they they tell they show them the basics, but they don't necessarily, like, get into systems or or how they should, you know, play. It's more about positioning. It's more about passing. It's more about that kind of thing. But still, it's not – you're not really into tactics, probably not until you hit college. And so by that time – You've already, you know, through your teenage years, you've already, like, developed your own ideas about the game. While on the men's side, as boys, you know, by the time they're, like, eight, they're told, no, you have to do it this way. So I'm sure that, yeah, if I had, like, some hockey man or a hockey player sitting next to me during watching a hockey game in in an arena, I would blow their minds by all the things I had said.
0: (laughs) And you would be better off for it, too, instead well, they, of being taught power plays from the age of eight, like any n h l player that's come up in the last fifteen years mm-hmm. they've had s- silly things drilled in their head, and it speaks for the speaks for itself when you see certain players on on the ice
1: right I mean you know i I played basketball when I was a kid. And basketball and hockey, there's a lot of similar setups. I mean, obviously, hockey is a faster sport, but and there's goaltenders, and goaltending is illegal in basketball. Um, but but in a lot of ways, it, a lot of the things in, in basketball translate into hockey and vice versa. Um,
0: oh, just the simple
1: paradigm of
0: follow your past. Don't just stand... Oh, God. In one place, but follow your path.
1: Oh, God, that drives me crazy. It drives me so crazy when I'm watching hockey because I, I, you know, I had that drilled into me playing basketball. It's like always follow your pass. Always follow your shot. Always follow your shot because then you can get the rebound or you'll have a better chance of getting the rebound and putting it in. Exactly. And, like, there's nothing worse than watching – either a men's basketball (laughs) or hockey where men's hockey, where they just take the shot and stand there and look. you're like, really, that's all you're going to do? Is you're just going to watch your shot go in? Uh, Okay. Good luck with that.
0: (laughs) Now I would like to point out to the listeners that it sounds like we're describing a lot about this uh, today's earlier Carolina Boston playoff game. I didn't Yet watch it. <laughs> I didn't watch a second of it either, and that's why I wanted to make sure everyone knew. That's how predictable certain games can become.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah.
0: I had my teammates pose a question because apparently at one point, Carolina, they were up going into the third, were taking too many penalties, and Boston came back and took the lead via power play goals. And I was able to describe it, the exact scenario under which they lost the lead. I was like, let me guess. They failed on their early power play opportunities and started taking lots of penalties late in the game. Sure enough, that was exactly what my teammates responded with. And I was just like, I've seen this story once or twice or a hundred times. It becomes predictable because habits happen over and over and over again.
1: I can, I can watch Two teams at warmups. And just by how the overall mood is for each team, I can tell you who's going to win because games are so freaking predictable. Mm-hmm. You know? It's like the team that's just going through the motions, no, they're not they they the mentally not here, it's not gonna go well for them, you know. The team that's just laughing and having fun and like doing goofy things. Oh yeah. They're (laughs) going to win, you know, and you don't even have to think about like what, what is going to happen during the game. It's just because both teams, I mean, you know, most people don't really want to call it this, but there's like a ton of parody in the NHL. Right. And most teams seem to do what other teams are doing. You know, it's like whatever the Stanley cup winning team does to win the Stanley cup, everybody copies them the following season. And so what teams put on the ice isn't drastically different from what other teams put on the ice. Now, the only lone exception at this point is perhaps Montreal Canadiens with Marty St. Louis. Marty may be putting a, a group of players on the ice that are doing very different things than what everybody else is doing. But outside of that, Everybody's doing pretty much the exact same thing. And so at the end of the day, what ends up happening is that the team that is mentally prepared and, you know, feels pretty good about life is the team that's going to usually win.
0: The tense team is usually a team that's they're putting in a lot of effort. But how often are they overskating the puck or overskating the pass and slightly taking themselves out of the position whereas that looser more comfortable team is just happens to be in the right place at the right time it's not as random as circumstances every hockey reporter wants to make it out to be oh, God, no. oh it, it's a it's a frozen piece of it's rubber on frozen ice it's completely unpredictable no these players control pucks on garbage ice all day, every day. Right. It's it's just a matter of timing and spacing. And when you're loose and you're just... You allow the rhythm of a game to take over instead of trying to be in place X by this amount of time when player Y is over at this point, pla- then you're ju- all hope is lost.
1: Well, I mean, it's even... You can only do so much physically, Right in any situation if it's if it's particularly like a game where only so many things can happen right there there's specific roles. it's an enclosed environment there's only so many people involved and so so that limits um a lot of random i I want to say error but it's not really error a lot of randomness right you, it's a controlled mm-hmm. environment you have certain players certain certain known players you know guys who have been around for a long time it's it's the rookies it's the younger guys it's the guys who haven't been around for very long they're tiny bit more predictable that they're playing very conservative because they don't want to make a mistake because they don't want to be sent back down to the minors etc and so on so so in terms of like variables in most sports they're very limited and and uh in terms of physical conditioning you can only do so much you know you can only be so mental so physically strong or so physically like loose or not loose um flexible you know you can only do so much at the end of the day especially when you're talking about the highest leagues in the world where players are have a career some players have careers that span 10, 15, 20 years or so. Um, you know, at some point, the physicality doesn't even matter anymore because you've, you've maxed out. You've, you've gone as far as you can go. And if you go any further, then you're going to, it's going to be a detriment to your game. Um, such as, you know, for hockey, bulking up, you can't be too bulky because that slows you down. And after a certain age, you should actually be losing bulk because, you know, that will slow you down. It all comes down to your, to your outlook. It comes down to whether your head's in the game or not. It comes down to how your teammates are doing. Because um, emotions, there have been psychological studies, socio, sociopsychology studies, that moods are Contagious just so you people are aware. (laughs) It's like how many times has someone walked into a room, into your office, into a classroom, whatever, and they have a really, really obvious black mood, and all of a sudden everybody else's moods go way down.
0: You know? (laughs) Why do extremely talented teams flame out with infuriating know-it-all coaches?
1: It, worked,
0: it works. great for a little bit, but then the mood is pulled down. Case in point, Vegas.
1: Right. So, so at the end of the day, like especially when you're talking NHL playoffs, yeah. You know, after 82 games, you're starting in on the next season of playoffs. It really just comes down to mental preparation, mood. What what you know external forces outside of hockey are like affecting you, et cetera, and so on yeah. It's like you have to do what you have to do for conditioning. don't get me wrong, but like that doesn't affect things quite as much as just if your head's in the game or not.
0: Yeah. all these teams are on autopilot right now, they really are mm-hmm. you know the quote unquote good coaches right now they're pointing out something that that's obvious to them from by taking a step back and noticing we keep doing this one thing or it's not working or the other team keeps doing this one thing and it is working. How about we take that away from them? Right. And it kind of reflects in all these series is Colorado's the only team with the potential to sweep. Everything else is like a two, one series or it's tied and the outcomes aren't, All that surprising. You can see one team win by four or five goals one game, and then they play two days later, exact opposite result. It all just kind of makes sense.
1: Well, it also is at this point with playoffs in particular. Again, the coach is kind of extraneous, right? It's the coach can sit there and yell at, scream at the players all he wants if the if you know team's not doing well, but at the end of the day. If the players are looking around going, Yeah, we don't we don't want to be done yet, then they're not gonna be done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? And
0: if and if something was failing, let's say at the three quarter mark of the end of the regular season and it's still not working in the playoffs, well you gotta find something else to do because you're not going to change those fortunes overnight.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, you know, well, that's that's coaching for you, right? I mean, um coaches are In love with what they do, their 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 power play, their penalty kill, you know their lineups on all of that, and so narcissistic. They they cannot let go of things, even when clearly it doesn't work, because they're like, no, it's my thing, it's precious and it's beautiful, and I'm not letting it go. No, (laughs) they're the line matchups. Okay, that. That
0: plays a minor part. The one thing a good coach could truly affect right now. How to manage the lines once we start taking too many penalties.
1: Well, and just team mood overall. I mean, of course, that would imply a certain level of emotional intelligence, which is severely lacking most of hockey from what I can see. Um, but if you are good at managing people's emotions, if you're good at that emotional labor, my God, <laughs> this is why women don't coach the NHL because they would just totally run rampant over everybody else. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, if you can manage expectations, if you can manage emotions, if you can manage, uh, you know, getting people out of funks and and stuff like that, then, um, then the Stanley cut or the, the final isn't like out of reach. That's for sure.
0: No, honestly, I think the rounds outside of health, I think it gets easier the more that you play Mm -hmm. because it's, it's much easier to play or shouldn't say even easier. Sometimes it's annoying to play the same opponent continuously And it's why we see, you know, those third liners become the stars of the playoffs. It's because when you're constantly having to to adjust to a different opponent, you do play slightly differently. When you're playing the same line, for lack of better terms, consistently, like I'm seeing the same four to six forwards when I'm playing out there at five on five. My job gets a little easier because I've seen it over and over again. It's just becoming a routine. And good players, you know, they find time and space when they know what to expect. But when you're adjusting to, you know, a third different team on four nights, well, yeah, of course, I'm not going to do very well.
1: Well, and that's and that's the difference between a a team that's built for playoffs and a team that's built for the regular season. Yeah, right. It's
0: right. Regular season. It's all about. All right. Being okay and having that good mental space where someone has said, all right, this is my role. I may be destined for more than what is being asked of me, but this is just what I have to do today. And then in the playoffs, that changes all of a sudden because the opportunities change.
1: Well, I mean, it is that, but it's also just um, tactics. Because like you were saying, if you're playing – a team or if you're playing an 82 game season, you're not just managing who are you playing next and, and what am I facing and, and you know um, uh, what does that call when you get reports about the other team? I'm just totally blanking on the term. Scouting. <laughs> Thank you. Scouting reports on the other team and, and assuming that players even look at those coaches should God know, God knows if they do, you know, um, Everyone, in my opinion, everyone should be looking at the scouting report on the goaltenders that they're facing every night. But maybe that's just me, again, being, you know, too logical well, for everybody. Um,
0: by the, some of the scoring totals, uh, I think
1: they might be. Maybe. Um, either that or defense is like, I mean, I haven't watched anything, but, you know, you everyone that is
0: out the window. <laughs> no, everyone's just tired.
1: So everyone is tired. So if you're if you're playing an 82 game season, you're not just managing who's your next opponent, you're also managing rest time, travel time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's the okay, we have a road we have a five game road trip out west or out east or whatever. Um you know that kind of stuff. So there's there's a lot of there's that kind of long haul drag involved where you're like, okay, so there's, you know, 10 games in the next 15 nights. We have to deal with that kind of thing. Um, when you're playing a team in playoffs and you know who that is and you know that you're playing them for the next two weeks, it's a much different mentality because one, you're not dealing, you, you do have to deal with the rest and the travel. But it's now predictable and expected, and you can work that into a routine um, at least for two weeks. And then on top of that, it's, again, scouting reports, which I seriously doubt players actually look at, (laughs) or most players look at because um, cause there's too many players that go out there and say, oh, I just need to play my game. It's like, well, yeah, that's great, but what if your game is different from the other person's game and they blow you out of the water every single time? Was, well, then what are you going to do? Um,
0: and what if you've been told that your game is X by coaches, but really it should be Y or Z?
1: Right, right. What if your game that you're playing is not really your game? It's somebody else's expectations pushed on you that doesn't fit you very well, you know? And so it all makes me tired because it's, I know that it's a lot, but you know what? There's some way easier ways to go about doing all this stuff that I know nobody's doing.
0: (laughs) Oh, reducing the schedule to build a more entertaining product. Why would anyone do something like that?
1: Hmm. Hmm. Gosh, I don't know.
0: And then they fully absorb the AHL and then there's your way to have, you know, 41, 42 home dates for something. Just run your entire organization from one city.
1: Mm hmm. And, And well, or or make it so that teams can't own their AHL team and have relegation.
0: So, one of my kids asked me about this, and he was wondering, when's the next time the league will expand? And I said, eh, I don't think it'll be talked about for the next five to six years. Mainly because US TV contracts. Mm -hmm. You know, having or adding different cities at that point in time might be an attractive thing to drive up the price. Because that's about the only thing the NHL could probably do at this point to gain a better rate of return. Yes, they keep making more money than their last contract, but so is every other entity in this space. But by just dispersing everything out, getting more local markets involved, because as the ratings will show us in like two weeks when teams are finally eliminated from the playoffs, other than weirdos like myself... Not a lot of people watch the entire playoffs. They just Mm -hmm. watch till their team is out and then maybe they'll watch a game in the final, like the final game of the season just to see the cup lifted. Right. Maybe.
1: Well, I mean, you know, it's it's also the whole, as was talked about this past week on Twitter, uh, just the fact that most fans are are priced out of um, going to games anyway at this point.
0: Yeah. And just doing it for four rounds where just to get into the building, it's either a single, probably large commitment for, you know, let's say two seats versus you just have to pay for all the games and manage that. And that becomes very unsustainable, very fast. And without getting into urban planning and... You know, oh, damn it! That, you know, <laughs> no, because I'm not ready to go down that rant. We're saving that for after I stop recording.
1: Oh, I see. Yeah, you know, I would love to do... And I think I've mentioned this maybe not while we were recording. Um, I would love to do like a um, feasibility study... For professional sports, major cities in the United States and Canada, and professional sports, and see if if the cities that have professional sports are actually sustainable. But I don't want, and I would love to do that is on my own time. But at the same time, I don't want to do that for free for the NHL, so I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah. 'Cause they would totally take my stuff and be like, Oh wow, this is great, thanks and I would barely probably wouldn't get credit for it and they would yeah. So um so yeah, just throwing that out there. I could do I could do a nationwide feasibility study on urban areas in North America for sports, for sports teams.
0: <laughs> if someone were to actually do the good thing and pay for your fine work and build that study. I'm actually curious if the NHL could survive a model where they're not in the quote unquote big cities, if that wasn't the focus of their league and if the other secondary markets around the country, could they find a more sustainable business practice that way?
1: So I could do that. Um, But no, the, the, um, to start off, what you need, what anyone should do is you should have a baseline, right? So you take the, uh, the current cities, the cities where the the teams are doing well. Uh, they're, they're not cannibalizing from each other's fan bases. You know, they have multiple, multiple sports in a city uh they're not uh, their value overall is going up um they're actually making money as opposed to just being vanity like projects um that kind of thing and then you use your baseline to determine everything else it's like okay well so this is this is the the baseline of of this is successful. This is the bare minimum of what you need to be successful in any urban area, and you can then apply that to other urban areas to see if that would work. Um, so it,
0: you're saying this isn't about Toronto?
1: <laughs>
0: Sorry, it's too easy. I couldn't. I couldn't resist.
1: Yeah. No. You know. I was I was thinking about them while I was talking, but I was also sitting there thinking. To myself, I couldn't help but think, it's like, would this actually prove that Toronto wasn't feasible? What would happen if Toronto was not a feasible city for professional sports? (laughs) (laughs) Because it could happen. It could be, it could be a um, I mean, it could that could work out that way. Population studies are very funny that way. Uh and again, you have to determine. To begin with, what what do you consider feasible, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what's your not just what the baseline is, but what is what is the acceptable loss, acceptable gain? What is your acceptable fan base, like numbers? What do you need? All that. The tricky part in doing all of it, in all honesty, is um, you need season ticket holder information, not. Right, scrubbed of all personal information. You don't need like credit card numbers or names or addresses or anything like that. But you do need zip codes because part of the issue with um, whether a city has a or whether a team is feasible in a city is commutes, and so you need to know what the commutes are and you know how who's going from where to where and all of that. And in order to know that you have to know where your season ticket holder base is coming from. And that I could do all the rest on my own. I could, I, there's no way I could get that season ticket holder information. And again, all personal information would be scrubbed from it. I would need that. It's basically credit card or credit card information is what is the address for the credit cards, not the credit card numbers themselves. I'm not scamming people. Um, no, because but some
0: NHL teams are, let's be
1: honest. And so it's it's needing zip codes, right? It's needing the zip codes of the people who are paying to come to games and determining where they're coming from, who's paying the, the most for tickets and where they're coming from, and that kind of stuff because you have to know – It's a population study. You have to know where these people are in order to determine if one, your arena is in a, is a good place for where they are coming from. And two, if your marketing is in a good place, (laughs) can't market to people who are, you know, in one suburb when they're really coming from like two others on the other side of town, (laughs) you know, billboards and such, Um, you know, that kind of stuff. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's really the zip code information that I would need that I can't just, like, pretend to know. Everything else would be easy, though.
0: And that's why it will not happen, sadly.
1: Well, I mean, I wouldn't trust the NHL to do it. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, sure, here, here's everybody's credit card information. I'd be like, I don't need their credit card numbers, guys. <laughs> I don't need their names. Take all of this off. <laughs> Try it again. And they would
0: feel so proud of themselves.
1: Yeah. Be, able be like,
0: to get "What they think is the right thing."
1: They'd be like, "Here's all your information that you could ever need," or they would give me nothing. Well, no, we can't do that. i would be like, "Well, I can't do it for you then. That's that doesn't work that way." Because <sighs> so much of, as we keep talking about, so much of like being a, a sports fan is traveling. Hmm. You know, it's going from work to home to the game or going from work to the game or going from home to the game. It And you can't do commute times without at least having a zip code. Streets would be fantastic. I mean, actual addresses would be fantastic, but that, that can be kind of iffy in terms of um, privacy. But uh, because the issue isn't that you can't get or the that information isn't available because clearly it is. The problem is that as part of the disclaimer of giving that information to a sports team, they the, it doesn't say, it probably doesn't say your information may be used for marketing purposes or whatever. And if that disclaimer is not there, then they can't use that information or they shouldn't use that information for that and get their asses sued for that if they did. Um, and so they're not giving up that information, information knowingly for that purpose, and that is actually a breach of privacy. So But yeah, population studies, man. I could really come be, up with something. It would be fun. <laughs> It'd be a lot of fun. I'd rather enjoy it. It would be like one or two years and I'd be like, "All right, I'm quitting my job and you're paying me to do this." <laughs> Because it wouldn't just be, I would do like a pilot, right? I would do like five random cities in the NHL, six months worth of work, um, including maps, um, to see if they'd want more. And if they did, then yeah, that would be be a thing. But again, not doing that on my own time and handing it over to people because that's a hell of a lot of work that I want to be paid for.
0: That's why I don't blog anymore.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. But, yeah, that would also, like, tell us if, you know, where would be a good place to build a new hockey arena in Phoenix?
0: Hmm, where the season ticket holders are.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Who's willing to drive where? Or, or... You know, where would be a good place for a new arena in Ottawa? Is Ottawa feasible even if you move, if even if you have an arena in a different place? Hmm. Yeah, I could answer those questions for you, for anyone.
0: And Quebec City still wouldn't like those answers.
1: But hey. No, that might not. That might actually turn out. Better for Quebec City. <laughs> might no, it might be Ottawa not liking those answers, but Quebec City well, liking those answers.
0: <laughs> it depends. If we're in this world of maybe a 40 team league with relegation, where it, you know, you have a top 20 and a bottom 20.
1: I mean the problem everybody with, could be happy. The problem with Quebec City has always been and it's funny that it's always Quebec city and it was never a considered, well, I guess they were kind of railroaded into it for Winnipeg. Um, But it has always been because the relocation fee and, or the expansion fee is so much and Quebec city would be entering the league as the, as the smallest urban area in the NHL. um, They wouldn't want to impoverish immediately a new ownership group by making them pay exorbitant amounts of money for a team and, um, and therefore putting them at a disadvantage if, you know, there's an economic downturn like is why, you know, the team moved away from Quebec city to uh, Denver to begin with. And that's, Fine, I guess, if they want to believe that. But I think they need to do a, a population study, feasibility study in Quebec City to see if they can even support a team. Because, mm-hmm. uh, um, Paul Allen, when he was uh still alive, he that's what he would do is is in Portland the. There would be people in Portland who wanted to bring in an n h l team to the port you know to Portland, and he would tell them he would tell the his group that okay, we'll do a feasibility study and see that according to their um their requirements because requirements always are the thing right It's like you can't just sit there and arbitrarily come up with numbers if you don't know what numbers you want to see right. to to see if it passes or not. Um, And so his group would do a feasibility study. Okay, well, can we support an NHL team? And they would come up with numbers, and the numbers would be no. So they never got an NHL city or an NHL. They never put in a bid for an NHL team because their internal feasibility study didn't, didn't meet the mark. Which is what everybody should be doing, but of course no one is. It's just, oh, sure, I've got extra cash, and here's an arena. Let's do it. <sighs> Which makes me shudder.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <sighs> boy. So, anyway, yeah, I would be interested to see what... Um, how Quebec City would come out if they did a a feasibility study on that. I think people would be surprised. I think that they've got a healthier economy than most people realize.
0: Yeah. Just they're trying to use their current day model and shoehorn in places and cities and, and ownership groups to make things work the way it used to. Mm-hmm. You know, some might consider, you know, Toronto and New York and LA, let's say not great or feasible markets anymore based on limitations of building dates, let's say, or market saturation and in, in dollars available to them. But yet we're still campaigning to do things the way that these markets have done it for a hundred years. well, it's not a hundred years ago anymore. And if you've read anything about the uh, history of early leagues, you know, the NHA and then what morphed into the NHL. Uh, yeah. It didn't go so great at first for lots of cities that now currently have an NHL team.
1: Well, that's the thing though, is I don't really think they have a model. I think that they're just, so it's kind of like, in the early 2000s when Chicago couldn't draw a crowd right they could barely get like 6,000 people paid tickets into the arena because they were so awful Chicago Blackhawks and um, of course nobody and I do mean nobody at the time even considered the idea that Chicago should be you know relocated right right Uh, and so, and then of course you you always have the, or at that point in time you had, um, Atlanta, which everybody was like, oh, Atlanta should totally be relocated. But Atlanta was pulling in more people than Chicago was at this point. So, um, but yeah, it was just, well, there's always been a team in Chicago, so we're just going to pretend that they're doing Okay. I don't think anyone really, like, bothered doing any kind of economic study to see if there should be or shouldn't be a team in Chicago, Mm -hmm. you know? It's just just
0: take it for granted that, oh, it's a big city. Of course there should be a team there.
1: Right. I mean, I really don't think the NHL has any kind of – I mean, let's be honest. Let's look at their current business model and um, (laughs) – And think about whether they actually are thinking about the viability of of their actual teams. (laughs) Like, no. Look at Arizona. What's Arizona doing next season?
0: (sighs) Well, at least they have a contract and a place to play. Mm -hmm. They couldn't say that a month ago.
1: True. True. But you know, I I I would be interested to see if it violates the, the terms of the CBA.
0: Oh, the CBA is just made up. Just designed to make the owners money. They don't care if it affects players negatively or not.
1: Kind of like oh, the but NHL that's a rulebook.
0: A It's
1: just kind of like the NHL rule book.
0: No, the biggest problem with the NHL rule book is it's too long and over it just they write over themselves instead of just deleting things and then rewriting it. Uh, but once again, another rant for another day because um, we're going to need something in a few weeks, I'm sure.
1: Well, we should hope we are. We're going to need something in a few weeks. <laughs> well, as. This is the NHL. They like giving us things we don't want to talk about.
0: (laughs) Which, to this point in the first round of the playoffs, they really haven't. And if if certain things go well, you have many of the league's leading goal scorers and offensive producers uh, might be playing in the second round. And that could be a positive? I I believe that's the right adjective I want to use. Not sure.
1: Toxic positivity. Wait, what?
0: Um, it's uncharted waters for me. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, we know the downside to this is we get certain media bases coming along for the ride too. So, use that mute yeah. block button wisely, people. Mm-hmm.
1: Just remember that sometimes the radio like audio is better than the TV audio and it's totally okay to mute the TV and stream the radio broadcast. It might be a couple of seconds off, but it'll save your peace of mind. (laughs) Sometimes. Sometimes it's worse. So, you know, you're kind of taking your chances with that.
0: Mhm. Live so, in game update: St. Louis up one nothing over the Minnesota Wild. Eight fifty five left in the first.
1: Games were actually staggered today.
0: I will say, um, thank you to the new US TV uh, partners for showing the league how to properly run a schedule.
1: Are we sure that that's what they were doing or they, they weren't just letting NHL teams just pick their times anyway?
0: Oh, no, I absolutely think it was the U.S. TV partner saying this is how we want to run it because it creates the ability for one game to fall into a next and improve that network's ratings. Mm-hmm. Oh, he gives this one thing that looks interesting and oh my gosh, there's all this offense and oh, there's another game coming up. And staggering the start so I can flip between their two channels. And that's a positive for both the network and their advertisers. It's amazing.
1: It's witchcraft. I don't believe it.
0: Oh, and then on the weekends when you can do things like an afternoon game, you can just run one game after another, after another, after another. And whether you can watch a whole game or not, you can probably tune in for a little bit of, each over the course of the day and that's still a net positive for the broadcasters and the league Mm. it's crazy how such a simple concept works yet within the team focused mindset uh, we still end up with nine regular season 7 p.m local starts at a time but hey
1: you can only do so much.
0: You really can, and I think that's about all we can do this week.
1: All right, that sounds like that sounds like a good idea to me.
0: <laughs> See, this is why we're missing Patrick to bring in the the proper rant
1: mm. at the right
0: time to keep us going. Because mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, it's been a little uh, rainy in my neck of the woods, and so there've been no squirrels outside.
1: Uh. Yeah, I'm too far away from the window. I have a squirrel in my tree but outside my window, but um that's way over there. So I'm gesturing vaguely to my right. <laughs> all right. Well, you know, it was good. Good talk. Enjoyed it? Um therapeutic and all that.
0: Uh <laughs> Not a whole lot of negative to talk about if we're being honest outside of the norms
1: yeah
0: we're not piling on new information yet it'll come we'll have those weeks but
1: yep all right well there you go thanks for joining us everyone
0: this has been the 3b3 podcast follow us on twitter at 3 b 3 Podcast. We're available for NHL consulting at reasonable fees.